of a reading from Hebrews 12, verses 18-29. through 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. As we come to this text, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord's blessing and guidance that he may. Help us understand these words. Heavenly Father, what a joy and a privilege to be here today. And now, Lord, we ask that you indeed will speak to us through the power of your Spirit. Take away human words. And we ask, Father, that your Spirit will exhort us, encourage us, strengthen us, that we may worship you. So thank you for your holy word. We pray these things and your son's precious name. Amen. Well, today we are looking at verses 25 through 29, and we have come to the fifth, if you remember in Hebrews, the fifth and final warning passage back in chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 6. We had... um, different warnings, and now we have come to this warning passage that is saying, pay attention, see to it that you do not refuse. And I think under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, our pastor is warning his hearers. Remember, these were Hebrew believers. And he is warning them that there's eternal judgment coming. It's not exactly a popular message. But he's saying, if you reject the good news of Jesus Christ, if you reject the gospel, there's some serious things coming down the road for you. 
And really, he is intending to address those to those in the church, if you will, who are playing church. This is one of those passages that those who believe that you can lose your salvation, they love to come to. Because it's his warning. But quite frankly, I think what is happening here is he's speaking to the church as a whole. And not everybody in the church is a believer. There are some who are playing church and not resting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is to those folks that he is addressing this warning. And basically, what he is doing is he is arguing from the lesser to the greater. And basically, under the old covenant... Remember, he's shown us that the old covenant was inferior. And under the old inferior covenant, people incurred God's judgment for their disobedience. Remember Israel? We've looked at example after example. And now he's saying, how much more are we going to be judged if we neglect God's provision as revealed in Jesus Christ? Remember how he began the book pointing to Jesus Christ. The whole hope that we have in Him. And his point is, if you think the signs of God's presence at Mount Sinai, you go back and you envision that mountain shaking and the fire coming and the smoke coming, that was frightening? You ain't seen nothing yet. Because what's coming down the road when Christ returns, God's not going to just shake a single mountain. It's not going to be one volcano. You know, it's so funny. We have, uh, you know, people talking about the hotter and the colder and all of these things. It's real simple. How many volcanoes have we had in recent years that are making it really easy and understandable why things are warming? And basically he's saying, you think one volcano is going to be a problem? One mountain? Wait till Christ returns. The whole place is going to shake. And if you're not right with Him, you better be ready. And so, our author says, in this new covenant, you're receiving a kingdom. But this kingdom cannot be shaken. And lest you fall all the way to the error of so many who go, Oh, you know, the God of the New Testament, He's a warm, fuzzy God. How does he finish this passage? Our God is a consuming fire. Yes, we have Jesus Christ as our mediator. And praise God we do. Because we can approach him because of what Christ has done. But never ever forget that our God is the same God of the Old Testament. And he is indeed a consuming fire. And our only proper response is to persevere in the faith. Know the things that you have and quit looking at the world around you because you're getting distracted by those things. And so you need to walk in faith. You need to remain faithful in your service to God because our God is a great and glorious and gracious God who is a consuming fire. And so first he shows us that our God has been gracious and given us great privileges within Christ. And think about what we've looked at as we walk all through this letter to the Hebrews. He has shown us again and again the superiority of Christ. Remember, we've said multiple times, the theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. And that's what the new covenant is all about. 
Jesus has made it possible for us to keep covenant with God because we don't keep it. Jesus, our older brother, keeps it. And all we do is receive it by faith. Yeah, I believe he did it. And now it's imputed to me. I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging. That's the hope of the glorious gospel. And, and what our author is doing, it basically, is this kind of logic. He says, if you possess this great and awesome kingdom that can't be shaken, it's all about Jesus, what he did, not about your works, but it's about what Jesus has done, it's complete, and it's been accepted by God, why would you go back to anything else? Why would you go back to the inferior quality of that old covenant? And so, let's think about the privileges that our pastor has shown us already. First, God has spoken to us from heaven through Jesus' blood. Remember last week? He talked about a better blood than Abel's. Speaking of Jesus' shed blood. And so in verse 25, he says, See to it that you don't receive him who's speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Remember the beginning of the book, Hebrews 1.1? Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, we're not starting a fairy tale, we are, the author of Hebrews is helping us put in perspective where we sit. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Old covenant. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Oh, yeah. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And so what our pastor has been developing in this whole letter is, in terms of history... Jesus' first advent is a key event. When Christ came, born of a virgin, He walked among us, He obeyed His Father perfectly, and then He offers His life as the propitiation for our sins. That is the key event. And that's why you need to look to Christ's fulfillment of the covenant. Last week, we talk about Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. It's this new covenant that he's talking about. His, Jesus' blood is way better than anything else that was in the old covenant. And so what our author is reminding us, Jesus, God's Son, is the final and supreme way of God speaking and demonstrating to us His grace and the terms of His covenant. And contrast that for a moment with when the Jews standing at the foot of the base of Mount Sinai. You remember we talked heavily about that last week. The mountain shaking and roaring and thundering and it's like standing before a volcano. And in verse 19 we learn those hearers did what? They begged that no further messages be spoken to them. They were so terrified by God Himself and His presence. And interestingly, the same word, the same Greek root that is used in verse 19 for beg, is what He uses here in 25. See that you don't refuse. I know one is begged and one is refused. But it's this idea of, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. 
And he's saying, see that you're not going, no, God, no. Listen to what Christ has done. And what we need to grab a hold of is our pastor is trying to help us see that you have Christ. He has done everything you need and do not refuse that message. Because what happens to people when they refuse God's message? Hmm. Romans chapter 1. Do you remember that one? They refuse to glorify God or acknowledge Him. And then the three gong verses of Romans. Romans 1, 24, 26, 28. And literally God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Our pastor is helping us understand, if you take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, this better covenant that doesn't get shaken because it is completed, it is spiritual, it is finished. And you go, eh, I don't want it. You better pay attention because Romans 1, 24, 26, 28 are going to come about you. God is going to give you over to exactly what you want. And I don't want to be in those shoes. And that's why he says, do not refuse God's message. Because he has spoken to you through the visible, tangible work of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. We commonly call that the gospel. Now I've had people ask me over the years, they say, what's the unforgivable sin? Now, time doesn't permit me to go in deep on that. But let me just put it in a simple term. The gospel as a historical fact is the greatest privilege that you and I have of living in this age. It's pretty done deal historically. Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? I don't think many people can deny that. Do we believe that he was crucified, buried, and raised again? Again, it's a pretty simple fact established in history. And so to refuse the gospel is the greatest sin imaginable. Now fortunately, you get all of your life to do that. But you want to know, what is that sin? It's to be like Esau. Remember we've talked about Esau in the past weeks? He knew the promises, but they hadn't come about yet. Very similar to us. Do you know the promise that you can be accepted in Christ by faith alone? And then it's easy to go, yeah, but the world's still full of mess and garbage and difficulty. And you can easily be like Esau and go, eh, ain't going to happen. And what he's saying is if you reject it that way, oh boy, I don't want to be you. And see, we can exhibit hard hearts when we look at the work of Jesus and we say, yeah, he was a good teacher. But... It is my work that's going to get me acceptable by, by God. <clears throat> Wrong answer. We need to not reject God's provision of Christ Jesus. We need to not think that we can add something to what Jesus has done. We need to rest in the completed work of Christ on our behalf through faith alone. And so that's really what he's pressing here. When he says God has spoken through Jesus' blood. He also is allowing us to observe this. God is giving us a kingdom which cannot be shaken. 
And that's the good news of the gospel. Christ has completed that work. It is finished. At the beginning, our pastor cited Psalm 45.6 in Hebrews 1.8. Way back at the beginning of the letter. And he says, but of the Son, Hebrews 1.8, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And then last week, we talked about Mount Zion, the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem. What did we talk about? That was all kingdom language, God's kingdom coming. These are all representative terms. And so we need to think in kingdom terms as our pastor is continuing his kingdom lessons. And one of the things that we need to realize and we see here that our, king, our pastor is showing us is in Jesus we have received the kingdom, but yet it is still yet to come. Now some of the theologians, I like how they put it, they say, we're in the now and the not yet. It's a done deal for you. But it's not quite done. It's a sure thing. But let me illustrate. How many of y'all as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ still actually struggle with sin? Every hand should be up. Okay? You see, but in God's eyes, because of what Christ has done, are you counted as pure and spotless? Yes. It's the now and the not yet. And praise God on that day when we close our eyes or however we go home. Maybe Christ will come first. Wouldn't that be good? I'd skip that death thing. That'd be cool. But when Christ returns, we'll be fully glorified. We will be like Him. No more sin. Awesome, huh? I'm looking forward to that day. And so, what our pastor is showing there, and he's saying, we are grateful for receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. The idea of the word receiving there, it's, it's a present active participle, and I wasn't ever very, any good at English or all those grammatical things. But here, here's the really deal. You got it, and you're still getting it, and it's going to come. It's that ongoing action that occurs there. It's a sure thing. And you're still continuing to get it. And so, it is a done deal in terms of what Christ has done. It is purely a gift from our gracious Heavenly Father. Remember Ephesians 2.8? For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Oh, and then if you think it's your special faith, and this is Mark's paraphrase of this, he goes on to say, and this is not your own doing. That faith is a gift to God. Lest you might think you could boast about it. Isn't God good? Isn't God gracious? Isn't He amazing that He has given you what you need to be able to come back to Him? And what our pastor here is saying is, you have the kingdom that can't be shaken. God has given you the gift of faith, and that's a sure thing. It will carry you through, and that's a done deal. And it's not like the earthly kingdoms. It's not like that earthly Mount Sinai that's going to shake and maybe blow its top off. No. It is God's kingdom and it is a forever thing. Hebrews 1.8 Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
And so let us never forget, and that's the point of the author here, is he's saying, don't forget that God has given us Jesus Christ. All that old covenant showed that you couldn't keep the law. You ever tried to keep the Ten Commandments for just one day? Good luck. You will break it. And that's that reminder that we need what God has provided in this Son, Jesus Christ. And let us never be like Esau and trade the promises of this kingdom that Jesus has purchased for us for the passions of this world, for the bowl of stew, literally. But how often does greed or lust or fill in your besetting sin drive you or pull you away from your God. And he's saying, now don't refuse this God. Keep looking at that gospel heavy every day. Keep your eyes focused. And it's basically saying, never ever forget how great your God is. Because that same God who spoke at Mount Sinai has given you the glorious gospel through His Son. And here's how you know God is great. Look at what he's saying there. God is great because His voice is going to shake heaven and earth. He's already done it. At Mount Sinai, the earth shook violently. Remember Exodus 19.18? The whole mountain trembled greatly. That's some pretty intense earthquakes, I would imagine. And our pastor has been referring to this Sinai event, 12.26. At that time, His voice shook the earth. And then He talks about something in the future. But now... He, God, has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now this is a quote from the prophecy from Haggai uh, 2.6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now Haggai's prophecy was given to the Jewish exiles when they were turning back to Jerusalem from Babylon in 538 B.C. And the prophet gave this prophecy to Zerubbabel and the people and was saying, y'all don't be so freaked out by this return and everything seems to be in shambles. Because there's a future glory coming. Now, Haggai's prophecy, I think, is a twofold. One, it's looking to Christ's first advent, but it's also looking to Christ's second advent. We've already seen Christ's first advent, praise God. But our author here is talking about Christ's second advent when he's going to shake it all up. He's going to shake the earth. He's going to shake heavens. And so that's what's coming. You can read more about that in Isaiah 24, about the shaking that's coming. Remember Jesus, when he walked on the face of this earth, he talked about earthquakes were birth pangs of his second coming. Matthew 24, verse 7. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, there will be earthquakes in various places. And before you go, ooh, Jesus is coming next week because we had this. Time out. Listen to what Jesus said, verse 8. And all these are but the beginning of birth pangs before his return. It's amazing to me. I was just re-summarizing through church history this week. And it's funny, how many times in church history have more than one, you know, 
big name in theology stood up and said, Christ is going to return. And I just was reading one. Somebody said the year 1033. <laughs> and we're now in the year 2023. And, 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 and I think there were a few who said 1984, then 1989. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Christ is returning. We just don't know when. But the question here is, and this is what our pastor is going, quit setting the dates, folks. Christ is returning, and see to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. Because that they didn't escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth. He's speaking at the Israelites, and they're standing at Sinai. And then what did they do? We want to go back to Egypt. We, we don't think God's treating us right. And what happened to them? They died in the wilderness. They died of unbelief. He's saying, same thing can happen to us. You think you're in the church and you think that's good and you're just part of Israel and you're all saved? <laughs> you're wrong. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. It's by faith in His blood which was shed for you. Just as you don't become a car when you sleep in a garage. You don't become a Christian because you attend church. You come, become a Christian by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood was shed for me. His blood covers me. And I'm accepted in the beloved Jesus Christ, my older brother. And so his point is, God is going to shake the heavens and earth, and are you ready? That's where he's driving. And the second thing he reminds us of there is, our God is great. Why? Because he is a consuming fire. Verse 29. You see, in the Old Testament, Moses warned Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23, take care lest you forget the covenant of your Lord which he made with you. And you make carved images, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden unto you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Let me help you there. Now most of us don't go carve images. I doubt if I went to your house I'd find a little wooden or silver or gold image or whatever. But here's the deal. Putting anything in place or ahead of your God is a serious offense in his eyes. That's what Moses was warning the people. Remember Korah's rebellion? There were 250 men who were offering strange fire. And what happened? A consuming fire came out and fried them all. Number 1635. You can go read that this afternoon. You don't mess around with how you come to God and say, I think this is a better way and I think God will be more pleased. No, He told you how to get right with Him. It's through Jesus Christ, His provision, and the cross and the cross alone. Quit trying to do other things because your God is a consuming fire and you're going to find out the hard way. You're going to be on the wrong side of it. Don't fall for the false idea that the God of the Old Testament is full of wrath. And the God of the New Testament is this sweet and furry God of love and mercy. How many times have you been told that by the modern church? Oh, God is love. 
God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our God does not change. The God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. That's why when our pastor says, for our God is a consuming fire, he means it. It's the same as the people came before Sinai and that mountain shook and the fire blared out or whatever it was. We will come face to face with that God one day. The Apostle Peter writes it this way, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should repeat, reach repentance. And sometimes we stop there. But Peter goes on in verse 10 and he says, But the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now whose kingdom do you want to be a part of? The kingdom of Jesus Christ? Or the kingdom of works? Where you've done a lot of nice stuff on this earth and maybe God will cut you some slack. What happens to that earthy kingdom? It literally says it's going to be burned up and dissolved. And that, my brothers and sisters, is why our pastor is warning us. He's warning us from the Apostle Peter. He is warning us as a pastor and he's saying, Do not refuse the gospel. Hide in Christ. Because our God is a great God who is going to shake the heaven and earth and whose fire is going to consume everyone who is not in Him. And so by faith, embrace His kingdom. And so we come to this reality. Our pastor is showing that you and I, we have a great responsibility to serve our God with obedient, grateful, and reverent hearts. And so as we've seen, we can't refuse the God who is speaking. Be careful. See to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. Back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he said, Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Reminds us of Esau, doesn't it? Ah, I got this all, I'm good. When we do that, we are in a dangerous place. Time and time, again, the author has shown us through the book of Hebrews that Israel was God's special nation. But be careful. Being a descendant of Abraham did not save them. Because many in God's special nation were not careful. And they had evil, unbelieving hearts. And what did God let them do? They perished in the wilderness. And so, he's reminding us once again, you've heard the good news of the gospel. And he says, you take care of your spiritual life. Think every day, how am I looking to Jesus to remember that my God has redeemed me and he's called me to serve him? And, and basically he's saying, see to it that you live in the wonder of the gospel. Do not refuse God. That's why in the second verse of this letter he says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. 
Pay attention to the Word of God. Pay attention to the Word of Christ. Don't refuse this God. Secondly, serve your God with obedient hearts. Now parents are going to get this one really well. How many of all us parents could remember the time when you would speak and it was like your child was not listening? Do the words, do not refuse him who is speaking, apply? Oh, I can think back. And it's not that my children were more wicked than any others. I was the same way with my parents. They're talking away and I'm just doing whatever I want. It's that idea that is being put forth there. It's the idea that we refuse him who is speaking. I love Piper. He used, John Piper, he uses the term, sin is unbelief. And you know what? He's right. How many times have you engaged in your besetting sin? And that the spirit goes, poke, poke, poke. Conviction. And you're like, ah, now I want this. I want it more than anything. See, you're refusing Him who is speaking at that moment. And that's a dangerous thing. Praise God, we have Christ and we have the hope of 1 John 1, nine. If we confess, we agree with God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But it's this idea that we need to serve God with obedient hearts. We need to have obedient and thankful hearts. Live every day in the light of the Gospel. I can't imagine that you were that good to me, God, that you redeemed a jerk like me. Okay, maybe you're not a jerk. I am. But you go, thank you God for the great salvation you've given to me. And that's why he's pressing this. That we need to serve him with grateful, obedient, thankful hearts. I love uh, the idea of the Copernican Revolution. Remember what that is? Mankind believed that the earth was the center of the universe, right? And then Copernicus came up with the idea that, oh, our universe revolves around the sun. It was not a popular idea. And even to the point of bloodshed. But that's what needs to happen in your life. You see, when you are born, you are born with the idea, planet, fill in your name here. Planet Mark, population one. You're welcome to come to my planet if you worship me and honor me and treat me nice. I'll even be really nice to you and give you trinkets and candy and sweet things as long as you honor me. But when Christ comes, a Copernican revolution better occur in your life. Oh, I was created by God, not for my glory, not for my pleasure, not for my satisfaction, but for His And so now I live on planet Jesus. And by His grace, I will live every hour. Whatsoever I do, whether I eat or drink, I will do it all for the glory of my Savior. You see how that changes? That's what we are called to do. Have an obedient and thankful heart as we live in this new kingdom that cannot be shaken because it's King Jesus. He's going to shake a kingdom. But it's not going to be his spiritual kingdom of those who believe in him. And third, make sure you have a grateful heart. This is one of the key elements of having joy in your life. 
Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, and then let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. This is hard for me, because I'm a whiner, complainer, and a grumbler. Just ask my wife. I drive in traffic. I know that's a sanctification issue. But ask yourself, are you a grumbler and a complainer? We've seen, as the pastor has walked us through, that God often is teaching us, disciplining us, shaping us, all for His purposes. There ain't no accidents with God. Everything is ordained. And so, how does your moment-by-moment attitude reflect an attitude of gratefulness that God has redeemed you through Jesus Christ? That's what he's driving at here. With grateful hearts that you've received this kingdom. It's a done deal because of Christ. Live like it, is what he's saying. Live it out. I think of Jesus' words. Remember the parable of the unworthy servants, Luke 17? We need to adopt this attitude more. Jesus says this in Luke 17, 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will also eat and drink? Does the master thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are but unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let us keep that in perspective. Our God is a great God. And He's not a harsh taskmaster. But He calls us to serve Him with grateful and obedient hearts. We are His creation for His glory. And the cool part about it is, the more you die to self and live for Him, you gain your life. Remember that Biblical economy that's taught all through the Scriptures. If you lose your life for me, you will gain it. Matthew 16.25 Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so, gratitude. A grateful heart is the step one in that. And then, having a reverent heart. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And our response to God's good news of the gospel must be reverence and awe. And I'm not talking about the style of music we use here. I've actually heard pastors do that. And I'm like, oh, really? No. This is us offering to God. How does he use the term? Let us offer to God acceptable worship. The word worship here can be translated service. In fact, if you look at the New American Standard, it is offer acceptable service. Service, worship, interchangeable here, okay? Here's the deal. It's when we forget the truth of the gospel. We fall for the lie of Rome or the lie of the media. You have to make yourself acceptable to God. You have to keep yourself acceptable to God. No, I remember the gospel. 
I think it was Martin Luther that one time was being asked that how he handled it when he was given accusations by Satan. And he goes, yes, that's true. And by the way, my Jesus knew of all about that and he still redeemed me. And basically the gist, he goes, and then I go on to tell Satan, yep, and I have this and this. And did you, did you know about that? Yes, I have a problem with lying and I have a problem with this. But you know what? My Jesus loved me so much, he's redeemed me anyhow. Do you see how we, we go on the offensive there? That we with reverent hearts go, this is how good my God is. The kingdom I'm in, he doesn't get shaken by my stupidity of a sin yesterday. I've confessed that. Jesus already knew. That's the hope and the joy of the gospel when we can walk in that. And I remember and you remember every day, yes, I'm saved by works. But not my works. I'm saved by Jesus' works. Amen? Rather than the works. And so it's all by the works of Christ, my older brother, imputed to me by faith. And so, what's left for me? Ephesians 2.10 For we, you, are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So how do you live a life that is acceptable? Acceptable service, acceptable worship. Well, around here, you know we talk about it a lot. The four G's. It's helpful to remember every moment of every day the reality of the gospel. My God is great. I don't have to be in control because He is. That's really helpful to remember that on a day-in, day-out basis. Secondly, remember, my God is glorious. I don't have to fear other people. I don't have to fear natural events because God's bigger than they are. My God is good. And so I don't have to keep looking elsewhere for satisfaction. Pick your besetting sin. That's usually one that will help a lot there. All I need to do is remember my God is good and He is all I need. And then lastly, my God is gracious. And I don't have to keep proving myself because I got Jesus. He did it all. And my perfection is in Jesus by faith. And now, I don't have to serve Him. I get to serve my God. And as I do, I find joy and peace and satisfaction. You see, that's the hope of the Gospel. And that, I believe, is what our author was pressing us. He says, you know, don't refuse God. Remember what you have in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word, and we ask that You will make it real and alive and evident within our lives. And so, Father, use us as a body of believers to bring glory to Your name. Use us as individuals to bring glory to You. And help us to bask in the wonder of this new kingdom, the Gospel made real in our lives. We pray all these things in Your Son's precious name. Amen.